chapter 6. Starting here in verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness, against of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll help us this evening as we open up your word, Lord. I pray that uh, any distractions in the building, Lord, that you'll bring to a ceasing time during this time of worship, Lord, during this time of opening your word, Lord, that we may focus in and glean for uh, from your word what you have for us this evening, Lord. We know that... As we've seen in the prayer time, just mentioning those who are absent this evening, that there are many with their flesh who are afflicted with ailments of this life, Lord. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, as we're in your word. I pray that you'll be with those who are not here, that you'll strengthen them, but you'll also strengthen us, Lord, as we're here and feed us, Lord. We pray for all our sons, Lord, and that uh, strengthen them, Lord, and that you help us to remember them, even though they're absent here, that will encourage them and remember them and reach out to them and let them know how much we love them. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Trust. You know, I guess that if we was to go around the room and ask each and every one of us, what we trust, we would get a variety of answers. This next piece of the armament, this, what we read about in verse 17, and Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation. This armament, this piece of the armament, this helmet of salvation is about trusting with unreservingly in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ and that which he did upon Calvary. What we trust, who we trust, controls how we operate in our each and every day of our lives. I love the story that is written of George Mueller who was a great man of God in England who ran that 
orphanage, and he lived day by day depending on God. It is noted that one day when they ran out of food, he set the table, even though they had no food. He brought the kids around the table, although there was no food. It was said that as the kids gathered around the table, they had become perplexed. And they spoke to Mr. Mueller about why they would even be sitting at the table when there was no food on the table. Mr. Mueller answered that we should pray and give thanks to the Lord for his promise to give us our daily bread. He, as he prayed and as this prayer came to a close, the story goes that at the end of the prayer that the baker from down the street knocked on the door and said that he felt led to give to the orphanage that which they had not sold that day. It is only when you have experiences like this that you begin to realize that God is real. It's not only when you have experiences like this that you know that he can be trusted as we face the situations of this life. Trust. This piece of armor that we see here, you know, God has not only called us to trust how we, him and how we live our lives, but he is calling us to trust this piece of armament the helmet of salvation. Now, we've already talked about how we covered on Sunday that he's not telling us to take up salvation again. We already seen that in Ephesians chapter 2 where he said, hearing of your great salvation. He recognizes that they're saved. But on top of challenging them, as we've seen on Sunday, to take up the shield of faith, which is what quenches the fiery darts of the devil, We've seen that faith is what helps us know that the victory is ours. Faith is what protects the entire believer, not only from the wiles of the devil, but from the arrows of the wicked. But tonight, tonight the scripture is this helmet of salvation. Now, as we have already covered that we are not saved by our own merit, we are not saved by because of the works of our objectives, it was because of what Christ did on Calvary. Though Satan likes to tell the believer that it's not, and that it's a different story, that we can lose our salvations. We are again affirmed through scriptures in John chapter 10 and verse 28, and John chapter 10 and verse 29, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. It is a truth that once saved, always saved. Even though Satan says that it's not so, the shield of faith quenches his darts. But we all know that if your head is not right, then you're just not battling right. That is where we're brought here again, this and take the helmet of salvation. I don't know how many times as a child, 
that my mother would say to me, son, I don't know what's going on in that head of yours, but whatever it is, you need to get it right. The implication from her was that my physical behavior was somehow connected to irrational thoughts in my head. So what Paul is doing here when he tells the believer, when he tells the soldier to put on the helmet of salvation, what Paul is connecting is that this thought process, our minds are connected to our physical behavior. What we adorn upon our heads, what we prepare our minds for each and every day is connected to the reality that we are saved. He doesn't tell us to put on our salvation every day. That would not be so. But what he does tell us to do is put on the helmet of salvation. Every day we should wake up and say, I am a child of God. Every day we should wake up and say, I am saved. Every day we have to wake up and put on the whole armor of God so that we are able to withstand the wiles of the devil. It is to say what Paul is pointing out here, that when we put on the helmet of salvation, to remind our minds that we are saved, to refresh in our minds that we are believers. It is also to say that it draws a big question mark over the life of the believer when a believer who professes they are saved, who professes they are in the battle, when they are involved in sin. As we said, this isn't about security, but that what Paul is trying to bring here is that a believer should act like a believer. This is about when we get into our vehicles and drive on our way to work that we put on the helmet of salvation before we turn on the radio. Is what I'm preparing to turn on here, is it going to reflect who I am in Christ? This is about before we turn on the television in our home that we put upon the helmet of salvation and say, what I'm preparing to play here through my television, does it prove that I am a child of God? Does it prove that I am living for Him? This is to say that before we ever open our mouth, and speak to people that we put upon the helmet of salvation and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ before we speak to people. It also goes even further to say that it causes us to have a lot of questions when people who profess that they are saved seek to justify their sin. Is this not baffling to us when we see people who say that they believe in the Lord, who say that they are saved, and they argue and try to rationalize and reason with you about why they are living in sin? It makes us step back and say, what is going on in their head? My mom would often say to me as a child, I don't know what you're doing, but you certainly didn't learn that from me. I wonder how often in our Christian lives our Heavenly Father looks down upon us and says, I, I do not know where you learned that from. Of course, he knows where we learned it from, but the reality is, is that we didn't learn this from him. We look at our lives and 
we look upon the believers' lives and we see the lifestyle that many are often living and we say to ourselves, something has stopped computing in their mind. The mind is connected to the function of the body, really. So the brain is connected to the physical body. The mind is connected to the soul. Second Corinthians says here, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded what? Their hearts? In whom the God of this world hath blinded what? Their eyes? No, the text says, in whom the God of this world, small g, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Satan seeks to blind the mind. How do we protect the mind? With the helmet of salvation. We have to take it even further and realize that not everyone that is going to hell is a murderer. Not everyone who is going to hell has spent their entire life preaching atheism. That there are people who arrive in the church faithfully every week, and yet Satan has also blinded their minds that they are okay in their religious lifestyle, and yet not saved. There are people who preach the word of God in the pulpit every week, and yet Satan hath even blinded their minds to make them believe that they are doing religious duty, and yet they are not even saved. They are lost because they do not have the helmet of salvation, which has allowed Satan to blind their mind. We oftentimes are so confused about Satan and his work. We like to attribute these crazy acts of violence and wickedness in the world to the work of Satan. And this is true. But just because that is what Satan leads people to do, it does not mean that every time Satan works, it's a, an atrocious crime. He seeks to blind people's minds. He not only seeks to blind people's minds, but he seeks to blind believers' minds. He blinds the world's mind by saying, hey, you know what? You know what? Evolution is kind of true. So people fall into this pit and say, you know what? I can kind of see some facts of evolution. What is this? Satan has blinded their minds. Satan has blinded many other people's minds into polytheism to make them think, you know what? There are many avenues to heaven. Satan has blinded other people's minds to make them think they don't even need this church service. Satan has blinded other people's minds to think that humanism is the way to go. That that we really don't need an outside acting God that if humans are left alone, that they can solve the troubles of the world all by themselves. But understand this. No matter what Satan uses in this world, whether he blinds the people with religion, whether he blinds them with polytheism, whether he blinds them with works, it always, always leads to the same place, away from the God that you need. So Paul says... Protect your mind. In effect, he says, protect it. Put, put the blinders up. 
uh, put the blinders up, put the helmet on to protect you from Satan. He noticed what Paul says here, take it. It means to receive it. It means to put it in your hand. It means to take it and put it on. The helmet was a piece of armament that was not only worn in battle, but the helmet was a piece of armament that was worn on, put on by the soldier when they were for sure going to engage in battle. They said that Roman soldiers often wore these helmets and it was covered their nose and it covered their cheeks and it went down to their shoulders. It even covered parts of their back. And most of the time in these Roman soldiers, when they wore these helmets, the only things you could see on them was their lips and their eyes. This weapon was so, this helmet was so valuable because there was only two instruments that was known to be able to penetrate a Roman helmet. One was an axe and the other was a hammer. But the most used weapon in warfare was the broadsword. And it was said that these Roman helmets could take a direct blow from the broadsword. A Roman soldier would be considered foolish to enter into battle without his helmet. He knew that the helmet would protect his head from arrows, but its primary function would be to ward off the enemy and his broad sword. In spiritual battle, Satan also wields a broad sword. There are two sides of the sword that Satan tries to use to strike in the life of the believer. Satan wants to make the believer and bring them to a place of discouragement, and the second place that Satan wants to believe the, bring the believers to a place of hopelessness. And this is where Satan seeks to defeat the believer. When we become discouraged, it is where we are most vulnerable. Defeat is not in salvation. Like I said, once we're saved, we're always saved. We're never going to lose our salvation. But defeating us, meaning that Satan wants to bring us to a place where our spiritual life is rendered useless for the Lord. Don't ever think that we are above that kind of discouragement. Don't ever think that we cannot find ourselves in this kind of place that, you know, don't ever find yourself where you actually start to believe that you could never slump to that kind of despair, that kind of discouragement. If you just take a stroll through the Old Testament, go to 1 Kings chapter 19, look at this man who God knew when he was in his mother's womb, this prophet that God had mightily used, this prophet who God had used to call down fire from heaven, this God who, this prophet who God used to slay the prophets of Baal. Not only did God mightily use him, but this prophet Elijah found himself so discouraged in such despair that he had taken off the helmet of salvation. He felt hopeless. He felt like there was nothing else that could happen. And this great God who loved Elijah, this great God who saved Elijah, who cared about Elijah, who fed Elijah, who provided Elijah. Elijah had come to such a place of despair that Elijah asked God to kill him. And if that wasn't enough, by the time you make it to Numbers chapter 11, this man who Moses, who God mightily used to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, out of captivity, 
Satan, when Satan had struck in his life in Numbers chapter 11 and brought him to such a place of despair that he wanted to quit and he too would ask God to kill him. This is the reality of spiritual warfare. This is the reality of not putting on the helmet of salvation. Paul said to, Tim, uh, to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 3 that we should spend every day looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Recognize this battle, that there is a battle for our mind. But the battle for our mind is warded off with the helmet of salvation that we're reminded each and every day that we have hope, that we're reminded each and every day that we have our great Lord and Savior who can be trusted. We are called to trust the armament. We are called to trust in the Lord. As I said in the very beginning, the helmet of salvation is trusting in the completed work of Christ done on Calvary. Trust in the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're all reminded of that text there where David was facing Goliath. And as David was facing Goliath, um, Saul had took him aside and put all of his armor upon David. In part of that text in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he says that he took the helmet of brass and put it upon David. And he girded David with his sword. And when he essayed to go, for David said he would not wear it because it had not yet been proven. David had put them all off. Saul was preparing to prepare David for battle against Goliath in the flesh because Saul lived in the flesh. But David, who had experienced God's protecting hand in times past, David, who had understood that God had delivered many times before, said, I don't need your physical protection. I have already have an armor that has been proven. Matter of fact, when you make it to Psalms chapter 140 and verse 7, David, when he recounts of this time where he had this glorious victory against Goliath, he said, oh God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head. In the day of battle. And David is saying not only is God the source of his salvation, but God was the strength of his salvation. It was God that covered his head. It was God that protected his mind. It was God that gave him focus in the day of battle. So we are urged here to take the helmet of salvation, meaning put on the mind of Christ. Don't be blinded by the God of this world. And so he says, take. Where we seen again in verse 13. Wherefore take. Now again here in verse 17, take. This is in the aorist imperative. This is the great urging. This is to say that you need this. And not only do you need this, like stop by the store and get it sometime this week. The urging is to put it on and put it on now. That we need this now. Like I said, the Roman soldiers would only put the helmet on because of the heat that was generated inside of there. They would only put it on when battle was for certain about to happen. Yet, 
Paul does not say, put this on only when needed. In this imperative voice, it means to put it on and leave it on because of the risk that is at hand. One of the most tragic things that happened in our nation not long ago is that there was a shooting that killed many people and wounded many. But one woman was shot in the head there who became basically a spokesperson in this country about gun violence. She was wounded in the head, and this injury in the head caused her to not be able to function her physical body. Her brain was not able to communicate with the body anymore, so Paul says the brain is for the body as the mind is to the soul. Spiritually speaking, that is what happens when Satan throws his arrows at our mind. When we don't put on the helmet of salvation, when Satan's arrows hit his mark, when Satan's attack uh, yields fruits in the life of the believer, what happens is when we don't guard our minds, when we don't protect our minds, it brings our spiritual walk to a place of impairment. We are hindered from walking spiritually because there's no longer communication because we haven't put on the helmet of salvation. Instead of moving forward, we begin to regress. Instead of moving forward, we find ourselves in a place of being backslidden, all because he was caught with the helmet of salvation off. Arrows in the heart may kill us, but arrows in the mind stop the believer from living any kind of quality of life for the Lord. There is no substitute for salvation. There is no substitute for the helmet of salvation. We, through salvation, have the peace of God, and through salvation, we have peace with God. Just a few days ago, I heard a man accounting of a reading that he did in an obituary. And in the reading of the obituary, it was about this man who <laughs> lived his life basically devoted to the Beatles. He loved the Beatles. Matter of fact, he loved the Beatles so much that he bought a yellow submarine and launched it in their honor in the harbor. Everything about him, he loved. And it's weird to read about someone who's so in love with the musical group, so to say, or read about this and even an obituary. But as the story goes on and it tells about all the things he did in honor of the Beatles, the closing portion of this obituary says, and he jumped from the third floor of this mall and plunged to his death on this date. What an obituary. But you know what it really means? There is no substitute in false idols. There's no substitute in false gods. There's no peace. There's no comfort. There's no strength. There is nothing. 
There is only the continual spinning of the mind, no solid standing, no solid footing, and un, you do not even know how to move forward in the spiritual life. And so we become tossed to and fro when we don't put on the helmet of salvation. We become like a fish out of water. You see a fish, when you catch a fish, you throw it on the shore. It keeps flapping all over the place. Why? Because it is acting in a, it's acting in a situation because it's not familiar with the environment. And so a child of God, when he tries to return and live in the sin, it is like the fish on the shore, flopping all over the place, dying as it's trying to be engulfed and surrounded again in the wickedness of the world. So he says, take the helmet of salvation. It is the reminder to ourselves as we live our life, you are saved. It is not to say you are saved again. It is to say we are saved. When I handle a situation, I am saved. When I handle my family, I am saved. When I watch TV, I am saved. When I listen to music, I am saved. I am saved. And taking the helmet of salvation, it is the call to every day, every moment, to put on the helmet of salvation and to remind ourselves of our great salvation that we have in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, Lord. I pray that you'll be with all those who are here this evening, Lord. And I pray that you'll help us, Lord, even in this situation to have gleaned from your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.